You, Tabby, that was really good, honey. Appreciate that. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn back to Proverbs chapter 11 again. And uh, last week, we looked at our second study on Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. And uh, as I have told you for the last couple of weeks, we're probably in one of the greatest studies that any Christian could ever take that really wants to have, as the Bible talks about, that victorious Christian life. And, uh, you know, we try to make it uh, so many different things. Got to read this book. Got to do this. Got to do that. But in reality, we're seeing, um, as the saying goes, where the rubber meets the road. Because the real secret of a successful Christian life is just getting and then keeping a biblical balance uh, in your life. And I've kind of divided this up as we come through here because I didn't want to really miss anything, even though we're not covering it to anywhere near the degree that uh, I, would, I would probably like to. But you're getting enough that you can go from there and we can fill in the blanks on Thursday night Bible study. But the first week we talked about how God was balanced and how that everything he does, he does it by a balance. And then I showed you how that the devil wants to do everything he can to upset that balance. And that's really how all history goes and really how all the Bible goes. I also showed you how that the Bible is the most perfectly balanced book that the world has ever seen. And uh, the second week, uh, we, we talked about our own church and we talked about our ministry here. And uh, we put it under the scrutiny of, 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 of what the Bible says. And as I said last week, if a church cannot withstand the scrutiny of looking at it from a pure Bible standpoint to make sure that they're doing what the Bible says, the way the Bible says to do it, then you ought to be pretty leery of it because uh, we all ought to be able to stand up to that scrutiny. So we, we did that and we went through everything that a church should be biblically in a balance and everything that a New Testament ministry should be in a balance. And uh, like I said, we scrutinize our own work and put it to the test of the Word of God. You remember last week I laid out for you ten principles of balance of, that any church should have, that any ministry should have, keeping it on track with the pattern and the models that are found uh, in the New Testament church. And there is where the balance really is. We saw the importance of church history, you know, of, uh, of how that, uh, you know, important that is to get a balance in everything, of knowing not just what you believe, but not just even why you believe it, but where did that belief come from? You know, over my last 35 years in the, in the ministry, uh, 40 years really, over 40, I, I have I've probably taught church history uh, 15, 20 times uh, at, over various times of the year. The last time was three or four years ago when I did it here, and probably was the most comprehensive time that I have ever, have ever done it. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's form, uh, it, we're going to try to form it into, uh, into, a, into a book. Volume one's already out, and uh, John Busquette works on those and puts those out in a marvelous way. And, um, uh, and probably going to have four or five volumes before it's all done. But the reason why I do that, and, and this is the reason why, and also so you understand, why not only just with our books that we put out, anything that's meaningful, John usually takes it and formats it and gets it back out. Obviously, it's on cassette. You can get it. And also our, our website. You know, we look at, well, people can study it and all of these things and get it. And there's people around the country, a host of them that are on it. That's all good. But that's not really the purpose. The really the purpose of everything that I want to get down in print 
is that there is a legacy left of this church for future generations to understand where its heritage comes from. I, I, you hear me talk about uh, Tommy Thomas, and you hear talking about uh, Phil Ward, two of the old boys that uh, were uh, out of the era of the 20s and uh, really were uh, two great institutions in my father and the Lord Mel Sabaka's life, and, and even Mel Sabaka, his impact into my life. And, and the tragedy about those guys, and I think it's an absolute tragedy. They were great guys. They really knew what they were doing in the ministry. They probably uh, set and, and blazed trails where no man has ever went before. They're responsible for putting scores of young men into the ministry. And yet they're all gone today and they're all passed off today. And the tragedy is that not one thing that they ever understood and did was ever put down in writing where anybody could follow it. And that, to me, is a, is a tragedy. There needs to be a legacy carrying on so that if the Lord tarries his coming 30 years from now, 40 years from now, that your roots, the roots of this church are not lost in all that happens. Because there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a time, and maybe not as me being pastor, but there'll be a time down the line someplace where this church will have to face its own hour of temptation. And what will hold it to the rock and hold it to the word will be the legacy that has been left that people understand what's going on. And it's important to understand our roots and how the models in Christianity, in church history, and, and, and in the Bible. You know, the Bible's filled with models. If, if, if we just took the Bible from that standpoint, and I know the Bible's many things. It's an unpar- unparalleled book. I get that. But the models in the Bible form everything for us. And I certainly don't know all the models in the Bible. I I wouldn't pretend to. But I I do understand that that is the key. And I realize that for us to have a perfect balance in our life, we have to have a pattern. We have to have a perfect model. And they're found in the Word of God. We talked about the church at Antioch last week. And, of course, I told you that the church of Antioch is the model New Testament church. For us, we follow that. We all talk about Paul, the Apostle Paul, what a great Christian he was. But Paul is the model missionary. Most people think that Paul was a pastor. Paul was never a pastor. Paul was the model missionary, and he's also an evangelist. And him and uh, uh, Philip uh, make up the model evangelist. I mean, that's the way it goes. You want a model for a pastor? It's Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Those three books that Paul wrote, he wrote to those three young men who were pastoring. They're called the pastoral epistles. And there's your model for that. You want to follow about and study about being a servant for God? It'll be 1 Thessalonians. You want to have a model walk with God? It'll be 1 John. You want to have a model faith with God? It'll be the book of Galatians. And if you want to have a model ministry, it'll be the book of 2 Corinthians. The models are filled through the Bible. You just learn the models, follow the models in the Bible, and, and match up, uh, match them up in history, and it works all down the line. And, um, it, it's just a great way to do things. Then I also gave you seven absolute doctrines that our church is biblically built on. We also talked about, uh, our name, the name of our church, Old Pass Baptist Church, out of Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. I, I showed you the old path, the old way, and the old book. Putting our ministry under, like, under that biblical microscope. In every aspect of it. 
But I think the single greatest thing I gave you last week was that little rule. And I'm going to give you three or four more rules today uh, that are going to help you. Um, I've learned that life can be very simple. We like to make it complex, and I'll be honest, the more we get out of fellowship with God and the farther we get away from the Word of God in what we do and out of balance, the more complex it does become. But the life, the Christian life, uh, is designed by the Word of God to be a very simple thing. And, it, you know, what makes it work and makes it right and makes it workable for everybody is the simple, basic things that you put into your life. And that's totally different from what you get today. But, of course, people can't charge you a lot of money if you make something that's complicated simple. They, they get their money, earn their living, make their money by taking something and keep it as complicated as they can while you're paying for it. And I, I gave you the single greatest thing last week, and that is the fact that you never in the Bible emphasize something more than God does. I, I cannot tell you how that will sustain you and help you in so many different areas of your life. Let the Word of God define for itself the key doctrines in the Bible, and, and then you build uh, what you believe on top of those foundational uh, principles. And I gave you some key examples, and we'll not go through it again this morning. The Bible forms the perfect balance for us in everything. This is why the devil has to get rid of the Bible. And when he does, then Christianity and churches and everybody that's connected with it then will lose that balance that God so desperately has worked so hard to give them. Now today, we'll begin to look at our balance again, but this time it will be in reference to our walk and our personal relationship with God. We're going to bring it up to the next level in all aspects of our life. Uh, you know, one time years ago, I, uh, I saw a guy at a county fair, and um, he was pretty amazing. And he had these plates on sticks that were about this high, and he got one plate spinning, and he put it down, put it in a little, little holder there, and <clears throat> got it spinning, <clears throat> got a second one, and got it spinning, got a third one, got it spinning, and <clears throat> by the time he was done, he had five pl- plates on sticks, all of them perfectly balanced, all of them spinning, And he kept all of them going. None of them stopped. None of them lost their balance and fell off. He he just kept them going, and it was the most amazing. And then, after doing that, he got three tennis balls, and he's juggling them while he's keeping everything moving on the plates. I, I thought to myself, that's exactly the picture of the Christian life and the balance it requires. Each one of those spinning plates represents something in my life. And I start out with one plate, but then as I get a little older, another plate comes in. As you get a little older, you get into a relationship or get married or start having children, before you know it, there's a lot of plates in your world that need to keep spinning. And you've got to be able to juggle all these things. And I looked at that and I thought to myself... <clears throat> For that guy to be able to do that, it took three things for him to really be good at that. And it was an incredible act. It took tremendous concentration. That guy could not take his focus off what he was trying to stay balanced. And I thought to myself, how true that is in my life as a Christian. Because the things that I have to balance, you know when I get out of balance? When I lose my focus on them. When I get my attention on something else. 
When I quit working at keeping the balance of those spinning plates, each one representing something in my life, and I get my focus on something else, the plates get out of balance. The second thing that I realized that it took for that guy to do that was a tremendous amount of work, a tremendous amount of dedication. He just didn't go out and buy some sticks and some plates and do that trick. He had practiced and worked on that, and the attention to detail was absolutely incredible. And the third thing that I looked at and thought about that guy is that guy had had a tremendous amount of ongoing practice every day of his life. He couldn't stop a day of practicing. The moment he let up for a couple of days because he wanted to do this or to do that, he saw it. Paderinsky was a great piano player. And he, he used to say that, you know what? He says, I have to practice five, six hours a day. And he says, if I miss one practice one day, I can tell it in my play. If I miss three or four practices uh, in a row, my critics, the music critics, can tell it in my playing. And if I take off a week or two weeks, everybody can tell it in my playing. There are certain things in life you just have to stay with all the time. And just as that man had to keep balancing those plates, so will it be for us in our balance in life. This is why the Word of God is the only way to accomplish it. Uh, through a New Testament local church. When, you, when used properly, the Bible, through the principles, will always keep the right spin in your life. Now, and that's a good word. Bill Riley on his show, uh, he, he talks about the spin stops here. And of course, spin being putting a spin to something, uh, getting it to uh, say what either you want it to say or somebody else wants it to say, take something and spin it to get it to say something. You know, life's a lot like that. Because life will try to spin its way to show you one thing when it's really something else. A life of sin will spin to show you it's fun. But the reality of the Word of God will give you the true spin. And when it comes to the Bible, I don't know if O'Reilly stole it from the Bible or not. I doubt it very seriously. But you want to talk about the spin stopping someplace? There's where it stops with the Word of God. Because the proper balance has to be in everything in our life. We get one plate going, it's relationships. And you know as well as I do, relationships, when a boy meets girl and girl meets boy, it's a thing where the emotions go crazy. And relationships are up and down, up and down. And it's a tremendous, a tremendous upheaval in a person's life. At work, work's not always going to be pleasant. You're going to have some hard issues that you have to deal with. There are going to be people at work who uh, you annoy them or they annoy you that you can't get along with. There's always going to be situations like that. Some of you are in school, and uh, you're going to have to work hard in school, and school will present its own challenges. You got, everybody has to pay bills. Everybody has financial obligations. There has to be a balance in that. And, you know, it's a, and then you have a family. And then not only does the balance change when you get married, but then the balance changes all over again when you have a family, and every kid you add to that family, you're adding another plate you got to spin. It's just the way it goes. Then you got the fun things you want to do, which there's nothing wrong with. You like to play sports. You like to play this. I've known guys that love to play softball, and they get into a summer softball league. There ain't nothing wrong with that. But they'll get into a summer soft five of them, and play every night, and everything else goes to pieces. That's out of balance, you see. Everything in our life has to have a balance. You have to have a balance in church. Usually church is the first thing that goes when somebody has something else they got to do. You got to have a balance in your Bible study. You have to have a balance in holidays. 
You have to buy, you know, holidays, Christmas, and New Year's, you know they're the, they're the, everybody thinks they're the most fun time of the year. You know after Christmas and New Year's, there's more suicides in January than any other time of the year? You know why that is? Because people are out of balance. They put all of the things, oh, here it is, and oh, all the Christmas stuff, and it's all a real high, and then it all comes crashing down because it's one or the other. There has to be a balance. And let me say this. The hardest thing you'll ever do is to try to keep that balance. Because when, unless you, as long as you stay in the Word of God, you're okay. But the hardest thing you'll do is to try to keep that balance. Because when you get it all going and you get it balanced, then you've got to balance the balance. And then you balance the balance, you've got a couple more things come in, you've got to balance that balance. There will never be in a time in your life when you don't have to balance it out. And this is why the Word of God makes it so simplified. And when we get out of the Bible and try to do it ourselves, well, as Dr. Phil says, how's that working for you? It doesn't work very well. It takes tremendous concentration. It takes tremendous work and dedication. It takes tremendous ongoing practice in doing it. A perfect balance requires a perfect set of rules. And that will be the Word of God. And without it, everything in time will get out of balance. As we all know, things left to themselves don't run up, they run down. It's that God concept of, of uh, God injecting himself into man. When God doesn't continually inject himself into everything you're doing by you bringing him in through the word of God, your life gets out of balance. Okay, let's look at our verse here. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, I'm going to give you uh, 10 more balancing principles today. And uh, these are actually, as I said last week, these are actually mini sermons. Each one of these you could develop into a 45-hour-long sermon. Uh, They're great devotional things, but I'm going to give you 10 more today. And uh, then we're going to come back and we're going to look at uh, another 10 probably next week. Uh, there's so much of it here, and I want to cover as best as I can, as thoroughly as I can, so I don't want to lump them all together, but it ain't like we're all going anywhere until the Lord comes, so we'll just keep working on it from there. But let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into it this morning. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we do love you, and we thank you for the Word of God. Now, Lord, I, I realize that in, in most Christians' lives, the problem is not believing in God. The problem is not believing in the Bible. Uh, the problem is one of application, doing something with it. And help us today to realize that the greatest challenge in our Christian lives will be to try to keep the balance. And Lord, uh, by ourselves, on our own, there's no way we can do that. So help us learn the great book that you've given us and the principles that are found therein. That will help give us the balance in all things. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for sake we ask it. Amen. Now I'm going to go all the way back, start at the beginning with your salvation. And I'm going to work you through here a little bit. And then next week I'm coming in, I'm going to talk about everything else in your life. Your marriage, your own personal walk with God, your kids. I'm going to talk about every aspect on that level. But today I want to start out with the day uh, with your salvation and then work your way through it and show you how it all balances it out. Now, there's three important days in the Bible. And I don't know if you've ever caught this or not, uh, but they're vital. And really, they form the balance of the Bible, but they certainly form the balance in our Christian life and really form the balance in salvation and understanding how it all works. 
because those three important days in the Bible form its completeness. And you might say that the Bible, in one sense, has really wraps itself around these three days. Now, the first day, and I know you know this one already, the first day is the day of the Lord. And we know that the day of the Lord, that would, when, that's the second coming of Christ. And we know that's a future event that's going to happen. And we know when that happens, that's going to put the earth uh, and everything back in balance. And uh, along with that, the day of the Lord has to do with Israel's salvation as a nation. You'll find that in Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 11. So the first day is the day of the Lord. The second day you'll find in the Bible is the day of Jesus Christ. Now, most people would think they're the same. But of course, you can see that now from our past study, the Lord means one thing, Jesus means something else. Christ means something else. So when you find the day of the Lord, we know it's the second coming of Christ. But when you find the day of Jesus Christ or the day of Christ, you're going to know always that that is a reference to the judgment seat of Christ. That's the second day. And that's the day that uh, we're going to get our ministry all completely balanced out, the work that we did for God. And uh, that's called, that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So you have the day of the Lord, you have the day of Jesus Christ, and then the third one is the day of your salvation. The day you got saved. And that's the balance of your relationship back with God. The image being restored. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. There's a great story in Luke chapter 19 verse 9. talks about Zacchaeus, one of my, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And Zacchaeus wanted to meet, the, meet Jesus. And so uh, he gets around there, and Jesus is coming. There's a crowd around the Lord Jesus. So he climbs up into a sycamore tree. And the Lord knew who he was, where he was. It's a tremendous story. And the Lord looks up and says, Zacchaeus, he says, come out of that tree. You know what he says? He says, because today salvation has come to your house. Zacchaeus went home and got saved. His wife got saved. All the little Zacchaeus has got saved. They all got saved. See, there's a day in your life when you're going to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and it's going to change your life. Your life will never be the same again if you truly get saved. It'll never be the same again. This day changes everything. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if any man be in Christ, is a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things become new. And now you have the ability, because of the day of your salvation, you now have the ability to put a balance in your life that you've never had before. Nothing wrong with unsaved people other than the fact that they're tremendously out of balance. And the only way they can get balance or get a balance in their life is to get the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. When they get the Lord Jesus Christ in their life, the day of salvation, now they have the ability to put that balance in their life. And we bring people through a discipleship program that shows you the basic fundamental things. You know why we do that? Well, we do it to teach you the Bible, but we're starting at the very beginning of your new Christian life to put a balance in your life. Then when you get past that, we do discipleship too. Discipleship too is probably one of the best things that we ever come up with because it basically shows begin to give you the understanding of the seven things in your life that change the moment that day of salvation came into your life. You need to know that. You need to know that because that helps form the balance. 
These are incredible things, you know. Uh, these three days and understanding them will balance you out. You'll understand where Israel's salvation comes in at the day of the Lord. You'll understand that the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be about what you did or what you didn't do. It's going to be about your ministry. And you're going to know that the day you got saved, the day of your salvation, was the most important day in your life. A lot of people in our church with their children, I, I like this. We do it with, do it with our kids and we do it with our, my kids do it with their grandkids. They celebrate two birthdays a year. The physical birthday that you're born into this world. But you see, a lot of parents want to balance it out. So they balance it out by also celebrating the spiritual birthday the day they got saved. And in our family, it's always a present for your birthday, a present for your spiritual birthday. And it's a thing where it helps balance it out with your children that they understand once they get saved, they understand that that, and you, you have, as a parent, you have something to work with then to show them how important that is. Only birthdays, physical birthdays, only two times in the Bible, and both times somebody got killed. Not a good deal. Now, I know, don't get mad and leave the church. We'll still have cake on Thursday nights when it's your birthday. I'll still bring you up. Uh, but it's a thing where uh, you, you see how it forms the balance. Now, the second thing. When you and I got saved, we now are complete in Christ Jesus. We, uh, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities in power. Now, see, the moment you get that day of salvation, now you're complete. You have a complete everything in your life, and you have the ability to have a complete balance. And now you have it all, if you're willing to do something with it. And that's because the Bible at the day of salvation, basically, here it comes again, changed three things about you that now make you even further balanced. And give you the ability to be balanced. The day of your salvation, three things changed about you. The first thing that changed about you was the, the inner man got changed. The second thing that changed about you was the outer man got changed. And then the third thing that got changed about you, the day of salvation, was the end of man got changed. Now the inner man... Before you were saved, God could not fellowship with you because God is holy and we were unholy. And the Bible knows that an unsaved man is dead in trespasses of sin. Bible, we know from our first study the first week, man was a body, soul, and spirit. And an unsaved man, his spirit, which is eternal, uh, his soul, excuse me, which is eternal, and his flesh, which is not eternal, are stuck together. They're one. And what happens is, is that God cannot fellowship with your soul because it's tainted with the filth of your flesh. So he can be no fellowship between a, a, an unsaved man or God. And this will help you understand how this thing works. So God had to come up with a way. God had to find a way to fellowship with you and me, even though we were completely unholy and, and a thousand miles from where God was. So what God did is he came up with a process that he, at the day of your salvation, he separated your soul from your flesh. And once he separated the two, now, as we know from the Bible, you have two natures. You have an old nature and you have a new nature. 
The old nature is always going to give you problems. The old nature, Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through 20, is always going to give you issues. It's always going to give you problems. But the new man, your soul was cut loose. And when God fellowships with you, he fellowships through your spirit with your soul, never your flesh. And so the thing that changed about you, the first thing that when you got saved was the inner man. Your soul is now set free from the flesh. And this is the whole chapter of Romans chapter 7. Sometimes you ask that on a Thursday night Bible study, I'll walk through and lay it out completely for you. It's an incredible study. Now, once the inner man changes, the second thing that changed on that day was the outer man. Now, because you've changed on the inside, you need to change on the outside. If Christ truly made a difference in your life on the inside, then you will truly make a difference for Christ on the outside. All things are passed away, the Bible says. All things become new. And that's the, that's the key to understanding it. That's the key of getting it. Now you have the ability to fellowship with God and walk daily with Him. The battle is between the old nature, your flesh, and the new nature. And the feeding of the flesh will only make the flesh stronger. The feeding of your spirit with the things of God will only make you stronger in your walk with God. Everything now has changed or should have changed in a man's life when the inner man changed. Colossians 3 verse 2 says his affections now change. Philippians 3 verse 20 says that his conversation changes. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says that his citizenship is now up in heaven. You see, this is a great determining factor. If you really got saved on the inside, then brother, it's definitely going to show on the outside. We live in a Christian world today where people claim to be saved on the inside, but they just live like the world on the outside. That is inconceivable with the Bible. That is so far removed from anything that is in the scriptures. The Bible says that if the inner man got changed, then it's an automatic process that the outer man's going to get changed. Now, it doesn't mean you don't struggle. It doesn't mean you don't have issues. But what it does mean is you just don't say, I'm saved, and then go keep living like the world. There has to be something in you that convicts you because of the inner man being saved. So a complete balance in your life and in my life, then, is the inner man got changed. The outer man got changed. People see the difference in your life now. And I don't know how many times. You know, <clears throat> and you know this is true. <clears throat> I was going to say some of you, all of you, <clears throat> were real rascals before you got saved. Amen. You know that? Now, you may not amen me on anything else, but I want to hear a good hearty amen on that one. Amen. You were a mess and a wreck, and so was I. And, uh, you know, it was the thing where that, that's, and, and how many times somebody, without you even knowing it, somebody has said something to me that knows you and knows you and says, man, that, but he, that, she ain't like she used to be. He ain't the way he used to be. There's something different. Something's changed. You know, that's what people are supposed to see. And that's the result of the inner man being changed. It affects the outer man, and everybody sees it. And, of course, the third and final thing that changed was the end of man. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says, Now you're seated in heavenly places. Now you're going to heaven when you die. Now you're in Christ. Boy, that's a key word in the Bible, in Christ. 
It encompasses many, many things. John chapter 8, verse 44 says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye shall do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. You know what? Before you were saved, you know why you and I were such a rascal? <clears throat> because our spiritual family name was the devil. I preached one time years ago, and I talked about how the fact that, uh, <clears throat> you know, that unsaved people, um, or their spiritual daddy's the devil. And, uh, and one lady come up afterwards and she was quite irate about it. She says, I just didn't appreciate that at all. She says, she says, I didn't appreciate you telling me that at the time of my life and my spiritual father was the devil. And I said, you know what, ma'am? I totally understand it. I said, I didn't appreciate it either. So you know what I did? I changed families. I got out of the old family and got in a new family. You know what you do when you got saved? Out of the darkness into the light. You left that family for that family. That's what you did. So the inner man got changed, the outer man gets changed, and the end of man gets changed. There's your balance. Now, third one. Now, along with that, three other things took place that now give you the ability to find the balance in your life. Three more aspects to the day of your salvation. And uh, at the day of your salvation, uh, three things happened again. You got saved, you got sealed, and you got sanctified. Now, when you put all of these together and you understand them as doctrines in the Bible as they compare to you, <clears throat> here's your balance. We already talked about gotten saved, the inner man. You got born again. That spiritual uh, operation took place where God separated you from, from, your, uh, from your flesh, from your, from your soul. But then the Bible says the second thing is that you got sealed. And you got sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. There isn't a time that I don't have leftover lettuce or leftover lunch meat. There isn't a time that I don't have a leftover something. I don't get one of them Ziploc bags. And I put whatever I'm putting in that bag. And I pull that little red tab all the way across and seal it. That I do not think if that's what happened the day I got saved. The day I got saved, God zipped open the top of my head and the top of my soul. Dumped in the Holy Spirit of God and then zipped it closed. And I'm sealed with it. I'm sealed with it. Somebody says, you can lose your salvation. You know how I know you can't? Because I can't lose my carrots. <laughs> I hold that Ziploc bag upside down and jiggle it all day long. Them carrots ain't falling out. You know why? It's sealed. It's sealed. It's Ziploc. It's sealed. It's sealed. And you know why you can't lose your salvation? Because the day you got saved, you got Ziploc sealed. And even though the devil turns you upside down and shakes you, it'll never come out. It'll never come out. See how easy that is? I can preach you a great message on every aisle at a grocery store. You want to go with me sometime? <laughs> so you got saved, you got sealed, and then you know what? You got sanctified. Sanctified means you got set apart from something. You got set apart from the world. We call it Sanctification. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12 says, Christ sanctified us with his own blood. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says that we as God's people are to sanctify God in our hearts. We're to put him someplace, keep him special, and keep the world out. Now, you know that's true in life. You know, you preach these things and people say, oh, it's true in life. Well, some of you are teachers. You teach in school. Matt's a teacher and Kim's a teacher. And I don't know how many teachers we got here. And you know what happens in school. You got two kids that sit side by side and keep elbowing each other and fight each other and can't get along. What do you do? You separate them. You put one over on this side and one over on that side. 
That's what you do. Marriage falling apart. They can't reconcile anything. There's no way to work it out. Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you enact the biblical separation. You go in, you go one way, go another way for the purpose of getting back together at some point. You've got to separate before you can fix it. <clears throat> in the Bible, you had Abraham and Lot. They had to separate. You had Isaac and Ishmael. They had to separate. Yet Jacob and Esau, they had to separate. They couldn't get along. And honestly, when you study those guys in the Bible, they're inspirationally, that's a great picture of your new nature and your old nature not being able to get along. And you know Abraham tried to get along with Lot. He tried to get along with Lot. Abraham did everything in his power to make it work with Lot, and he couldn't do it. He just could not do it. You find Isaac and Ishmael, as hard as they tried, as hard as Isaac tried to do what was right, they could never work it out and stay with each other and stay together. Jacob and Esau, <clears throat> they could never work it out. And I'm telling you something. When it comes down to your old nature and your new nature, you can't ever work it out for the both of you to be together. How could you walk together except they be agreed? You can't do it. So when you got saved... You and your flesh can't ever get along again because of your salvation. God saved you, he sealed you, and he sanctified you. Now, when you come to that point in your life and you get that, and you get those balances working in your life, now you're ready to do something. Here comes number four. Okay, now that you're saved, God wants you, we talked about this last week, we saw it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. He wants you to be rooted. He wants you to be built up. And he wants you to be established. So the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, once you get the day of salvation under your belt, you start to learn some things about God and begin to get the primary balance in your life of a relationship with God. Then you're going to start to do a work with God. And then 1 Timothy 4, 13 says there's three things you've got to do to help develop that along. And he says, till I come, give attendance. Give attendance. Now, I want, to, want you to notice that word there. It didn't say give attention. If it meant, said give attention, it just means to look at it. It didn't say till I come, give attention. It said till I come, give attendance. In other words, do it till I come. Don't think about it. Don't just look at it. Just don't pay attention to it. Be in attendance. Do it in three things. Reading, exhortation, and doctrine. And our church admonishes you to do these three things. The first one is reading. you got to read the book. And when you read the book, you know what you do? You take it in. You take it in. The Bible says, Thy word have I hidden my heart, that I may not sin against thee. You take it in. You take it in. You know, we talk about little kids and how little kids, you got to be careful what you say around little kids because they're like sponges and they absorb everything and they hear everything. Well, when you first get saved, you're like a little child and you're like a sponge. And that is a great absorbing time in your life. And you come to Thursday night Bible study, you get discipled, you get disciple one, disciple two, you come to Sunday morning, you have the ability to absorb everything that you hear and take it. You may not know what to do with it all, but you have the ability to take it in. And you do that by reading, getting what the Word of God says. He says, till I come, give attendance to reading, and then he says, exhortation. You can only take it in so much, 
without putting it back out. And I used a great example of a sponge concept. A sponge is a great tool and a great instrument in cleaning up messes. And when you put it in a bucket of water, it absorbs and it actually just fills up with water, much like you coming to church and getting the water of the Word of God. But you know what? That sponge comes to a point in this little world where it's no longer functional because it's picked up now and it's dripping with everything, but it's so saturated it can't hold any more water. And you know what you got to do with a sponge when it gets to the saturation point? You got to wring out what's in it so you can take some more up. And when you come to a place in your Christian life, here's where you get out of balance. You come every Sunday, you come every Thursday, you keep taking it in and taking it in, and you're like a big old bloated sponge this morning, but you got to get wrung out. And you got to put it out, exhortation. You can't just keep taking it in. You got to put out what you take in. Exhortation. And then the third one is doctrine. You got to read the book. You got to preach the book. And you got to know the book. Reading, exhortation, and doctrine. You got to know what you're talking about. And, uh, you know, it, 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 the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And for the first thing it's profitable is for doctrine. Doctrine is the specific teachings of the Bible. Reading the Bible without knowing what to look for. You've got to really be careful now. The two problems that people have today when it comes to the Bible, they read it, and I hear this all the time. They read it, but they don't have any idea what it says. Or when they do find something, they don't know what to do with what they found. Everything in life I look for examples in. <clears throat> I mean, I can be <clears throat> driving down the road and see a billboard, or I can see, a, you know, uh, uh, one time I was driving down the road, and <clears throat> I kind of looked out the window, and I saw this big hawk, big hawk coming down right over in the other side over here, about 100 yards from me. A big thing, claws down through that thing, and I'm watching him come in, you know, <clears throat> and boy, he comes down and just never even land. Come down, he had a big old snake had gotten his claws and took off. And I'm thinking, I wonder what that means. Looked in my rearview mirror and there was a police car with his lights on right behind me. Bird snatched the snake, the cop snatched me. That's what it meant. <clears throat> Slow down. I look for everything. <clears throat> I was taking one of my computers, <clears throat> needed to have some upgrades in it and have some things done, and it's not working exactly right. So I went over to, I went over to Best Buy. And I'm thinking, and I, this was a great analogy for me. I go into Best Buy, <clears throat> the Geek Squad's there. You've got to look a certain way to get a job over there in a Geek Squad. <clears throat> Just want you to know that. So I go in there, <clears throat> and I'm walking around, and <clears throat> I meet this guy, <clears throat> and I tell him what my computer's doing, <clears throat> and he says, yeah, <clears throat> this is what you got problem. I said, oh, okay, <clears throat> that's good. So I'm looking around. And I come over here to this, looking over here, and this, another guy come up, and I said, yeah, I was just talking to this guy over here. I said, this is what my computer's doing. He said, he said, no, 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 that's not what the problem is. So he said, go up here and get in line. And there was 40 people in line for, to, to, to talk to a geek. <laughs> <laughs> something fundamentally wrong with that. <clears throat> so I, I go in line, okay? I get in line, I go up there, and this guy, he says... No, I didn't need one of those. And I'm saying, well, I talked to these two guys, and he says, oh, I don't care what they said. He says, I, I'm, I'm, uh, this is not, this is, we're going to have to send it out. We're going to have to do this. We're going to have to do that. I said, okay. I said, well, let me think about it. So I, I'm, I'm out. I'm thinking, you know what? I went to this big 
huge place that says Best Buy. And I talked to three or four geeks. They never said the same thing, and none of them really solved my problem. So I got in my car. I didn't drive 50 feet. I saw this little shop in here. It says, one little sign, we fix computers. So I said, what the heck? (laughs) Went in there. One guy says, hi, how are you? I said, hi, my name is Bob. He said, Bob, good to meet you. My name is so-and-so. I said, yeah, I got some problem with my computer. He says, put it up here. Let me take a look at it. In 20 minutes, I got the undivided attention of what I needed. He listened to me. He showed me. I didn't wait in line. He wasn't a geek. (laughs) I went away from there and thought to myself, you know what? Boy, that's a concept of a big church that wants to wait in line forever and you talk to four pastor geeks who never give you your answer. <laughs> then going somewhere where you can get the individual attention to fix your problem in 10 seconds or less. I try to learn from everything. And I'll tell you, he, he, he got me straightened out. He was a good guy. I mean, I'll tell you, I'm a little worried about a guy who sits there. Never mind. He just, <laughs> he's a geek, all right. I'll tell you what, he got a geek squad shirt on for sure. But I'm telling you, you got to learn. You got to get what you need. You got to get somebody to help you. Just like that little sign says, we fix computers. This church fixes problems when you don't get into the Bible and you don't know what you're reading. We fix the problem of understanding context and put it together. We don't farm you out someplace. We don't put you someplace out here and put you on hold for, don't even get me started on being on hold. We don't make you wait in line. You get exactly what you need and the individual attention that you need to solve whatever problem you have. We fix computers. Human ones. Number five. I'm just had to get off my chest today. Thank you. Now, as you continue to grow up in a New Testament church, you'll find that God will reveal himself to you and you'll get, you'll get uh, uh, grounded in the book and you'll get a confidence uh, in yourself, uh, in yourself, uh, being sure of some things. And I want to tell you, for you as a Christian, the number one thing that you have got to get at some point in time, and this is where it all comes together, is confidence. Confidence. You watch some of our boys preach. They have confidence in what they preach. They don't get up and fimble, fumble around. They don't get nervous. They don't lose their pages. They're confident in what they're doing. I watch you prayer group leaders and the people that have done prayer groups all through here. You're confident in what you do. I've heard you people give testimony. You're confident. You disciple people. You're confident. You know what you're doing. Confidence in your Christian life is absolutely imperative. So to have that, the Bible, as you continue to grow and get all that you need, a balance in your life forms of three things. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, it says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed. The first thing you realize is you've got a sure word. You've got a book that you can bet your soul on. You've got a book in your life that you can take every problem you've got, no matter what it may be, and you can get the answer to that. That book is the absolute, infallible, final authority in your life, and it is a sure word. Then 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. He says, wherefore, the rather brethren giving diligence to make your calling and election sure. You see, God has a purpose in your life. God has something he wants you to do. 
God's called you. He didn't save you just so you could go down and continue to do your own thing. He has a work for us to do. He has a work for this church. He has an individual work for every one of you within this church. He has a calling for you. Your calling may not be the same as my calling, but it's a calling. God has something he wants you to do. But you need to make that calling sure. And the only way you make that calling sure if this is what God wants me to do is to have a sure word. Because it's only through that sure word that you'll find the sure calling. Then when you put the sure word in your life and you get the sure calling in your life, then the third aspect that forms the balance is in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 18. The wicked worketh deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. You see, God has a sure word that's going to give you everything you need to find your sure calling. And when you serve God and meet that call and do what God wants you to do at the judgment seat of Christ, the day of Jesus Christ, there's going to be a sure reward waiting for you. That's how it works. It's a balance. It's a balance in everything in your life. Number six. Now, as you continue to learn about the Bible, learn about the Lord and how uh, he looks at you, uh, you'll find a balance even in that. And, and here's another simple rule or formula that I follow. And I know I've, get, we've, I've given you this before. We've talked about this just a couple of weeks ago in Bible study. But, uh, you know, it's a thing where uh, seeing how God sees you and how you see God. And when it comes to my relationship with God, when I think about God looking at me, I use a simple formula. And it's a balance. And it's three little things. It's simply sinner, son, and servant. And that puts everything in a balance for me. You see, for I was saved, for you were saved, we were sinners. We were sinners without hope, without light. There's nothing we could do to ever get salvation. We were lost. We were on our way to hell. And God looked at me at that point in time, as he did you, as a sinner. And we were going to pay for our own sin. So God looks at me at that point in time as a sinner, as he did you. And God can't fellowship with me. God can do nothing with me uh, because of the fact that he's holy and I'm a sinner. So there's no real relationship that we have. So God looks at me as a sinner. And if I die in my sin, he's going to judge me as a sinner at the great white throne judgment. But then you know what happened? My day of salvation came. And the day of my salvation, it all changed. Because from that point on, God now doesn't look at me as a sinner anymore. You say, do you still sin? Sure I do. But God doesn't look at me as a sinner anymore. Now he looks at me as his son. I'm part of the family. I left the old family. I'm his family. Now it isn't a question, am I, am I saved or lost? Now the question is, am I an obedient son or a disobedient son? And he deals with me on that. When I get out of fellowship, I can confess it and get it right with him, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, or he brings me to the woodshed and we have a talk about it there. Some of you don't like coming to church when they get out of fellowship. Some of you don't like to come out of church when you're in fellowship. Some of you don't like to come to church when you've got problems in your life. That's the first thing it'll go. You can always tell. You start just staying away and start being there, doing all that, doing all that. Let me tell you something. That is the worst thing you can do. Because you know why God wants you to come to church when you're out of fellowship? Because I'm going to get up here and say something. The Holy Spirit of God's going to take it right down inside and you deal with that. And you don't want to do that because you don't want to deal with it. You're a fool. So you, you'll, take, you'll keep from this little tin horn, two-bit preacher up here uh, putting it out to you, and you'll say, I ain't going to do that, and you think that God isn't going to get a hold of you himself someplace along the line? Well, you get a much better shot with me than you will with him. He'll drop the hammer on you. 
I'll just preach it to you. Boy, you keep that thing going and going and going and going and going. God come down and whack you, man. You know why? He's your son. Now, you all, a lot of you got kids. You let your kid just do whatever they want to do. Now, their time, I know you have different levels. Sometimes some of you parents do timeouts. Some of you take things away. I'm not saying anything wrong with any of that. But you know there comes a time in your child's life when you've got to really let them have it. I mean, it's just, I mean, timeout won't cut it. We didn't have timeouts when I was growing up. It was time out the window, upstairs, <laughs> three floors. That's what you got. No time's out. The only timeout you got was the time out the window to the time you hit the ground. That's all you got. <laughs> Things change. Things change. But you know there's times in your child's life when you gotta, you got to let them know there's some authority behind what you're doing. Well, God's the same way. There's things in your life that he'll just nudge you along, but there's some things in his life that, that you really get left out of balance. He, you come to church, some old goofy preacher gets up there and, boy, hits your nerve like a dentist drawing for the cavity and finally finds it. You're better off just to get it right with God now and confess it and get back in fellowship than to keep on running because everywhere you go, he's going to find you. Amen. You ain't going anywhere. So, you see, when I got, before I was saved, God looked at me as a sinner. Once I got saved, now I'm his son. And then someday he's going to judge me as a servant. That'll be at the judgment seat of Christ. People get a weird idea about that. They'll think that, uh, you know, when you get up to the judgment seat of Christ, all the, all the partying you did after you got saved and all the dumb things you did, ain't going to come up there. No, God deals with you in this life as a son on those things. When you get to the judgment seat of Christ, it's going to be one thing. Did you answer the call? That's all it's going to be. That's all it's going to be. Did you answer the call? And uh, that's just how it goes. That's just how it goes. Did you answer the call? So you got sinner, son, and servant. And, uh, you know, people get out of whack on this one. They get, they get all kinds of bad stuff going on. This is where you can get thinking you can lose your salvation. I've seen guys that thought the, the opposite. And once they got saved, they thought they never sinned again. And, uh, you know, uh, you got people getting up there saying, well, you know, uh, when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, God's going to just beat you up and beat you six ways on Sunday for all the bad things you did in life. That's just absolutely not true. You know, all he's going to do is look at you. For the first time in your life, you're going to look into the eyes that loved you, and you're going to see the nail scars on the hand that paid the price for you. And at first time in your whole life, and you could do it right now, but you won't, but the first time in your life, you're going to look into those eyes and that face, the one who gave everything up for you, and you're going to fully realize and understand the price that was paid and all he gave up for you, and then right behind that, like a hungry giant coming home for lunch, you're going to get the thought coming through your mind, after all we did for you, you did nothing for him. It's going to be about your service. It's going to be about your service. And a lot of people, they just don't know how to take care of their own sin as Christians. You confess it. You get it right. I don't care if you've got to do it 500 times a day. Whenever you get out of fellowship, you say something, think something, look at something you shouldn't do, right there on the spot. God convicts you. Make it right. You get it right. Now the seventh thing. Now as you grow and mature, you see there needs to be a balance uh, in, in your emotions. Now this is a crucial one here. Not many people can ever find a balance in this one. Your emotions and my emotions will kill you every time. They affect how you see things. They will hide the real truth in anything because you're faced with because you're so emotionally distraught. The greatest verse in the Bible on emotions is in Proverbs 25, 28, where it says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. 
In the Old Testament, the walls around that city were its protection. I've showed you how that in Nehemiah and Esther, that that's a picture inspirationally of the Bible doctrine, the building blocks of your Christian life, protecting you from everything that's out there. And when you don't have a wall around you, you have no protection. And what the devil is going to come after you every time first is going to be your emotions. If he can get you to be emotionally out of balance, he's got you. You have to have rule over your own spirit. There's some rules. It says, he that hath no rule over his own spirit. There's some rules that have to go along with keeping control of your emotions. Now, it's just just that way it is. And here's another little simple one. I use it all the time, and I've given you this before. My Christian life is simplified. I'm not saying I don't get into some complex situations. I have to deal with situations many times that are on multi-levels of complexity, but it's a fine story. Dealing with it is all simple. It's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't require a lot of complex things uh, to fix complex things. You just take simple things. Now, you take your Christian life and your emotions. You want to get control of them? You want to handle your emotions? You want to get to the place where you don't get used and abused and people don't take advantage of you? Or you don't start feeling this and feeling that? I mean, I've seen people all my life. I've seen people go to a movie, and I'm, I'm one of them. I, I, I went to see, we went to see that uh, Unbroken the other couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there at the end, you know, after all that guy went through, and it comes down there and says that, that he, uh, you know, that he uh, got to go back to the Olympics, and it shows him as an 82-year-old guy running in the Olympics, you know, and all that. Man, I'm weeping like a baby. I'm just sitting there. I mean, that thing just moved me, man. I mean, I'm just, I'm coming apart. And, 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 that, and we go to movies like that, you know, and that one is a little more justifiable because the guy was a Christian and did all those things and I can get out. But I've been to movies where, you know, uh, some dog dies, some guy's girlfriend dies, they're shacking up and living together and she dies, you know, and he's heartbroken or he dies, he's broken and the whole theater just weeping. I mean, wear your rubber boots. I mean, you're going to slide down out of the aisle. It's going to be snot on the floor. I mean, everybody's crying. Everybody's crying. We see sad movies, you know, and it makes us, it moves our emotions and it touches us. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm really not. I'm not being mean about it, but I am saying this. I've seen those same people be around lost people that were going to die and spend an eternity in hell and never shed one tear for them. You know why? Out of balance in your emotions. Now, I don't watch, there's that uh, Marley, that movie Marley. I can't watch that. You kidding me? I mean, give me Arden Schwarzenegger killing 900 guys. I can handle that. But a little dog dying, I can't go there, man. Just leave me alone, man. I ain't watching a little lab puppy come there as a puppy, grow up, and everybody love it and everything, and then watch it die. What's the matter with you? You sick? Why do you want to go through that? There's something terribly wrong with somebody that makes a movie about something like that. I don't go to those movies. There used to be a thing on TV, Vet Doctor. I can't watch that. Bringing some little dog in there, been run over by a tractor trailer truck, you know, like a pancake, and you blow it up and give it more life. Get out of here, man. I watched, one, I watched it one time when some dog got bit with a, with a copperhead. And it, you know how they drag it out? They take it in, and the vet's not sure it's going to make it, and then they go to commercials, and you got to see another one and come back for that. I didn't sleep for two days. It's probably wrong. I pray for that dog every day. I was so relieved. I mean, like my whole world just lit up when I watched that thing and the dog came back. And, I, and it was, uh, the, guy, and he dragged, the guy drives up in his truck and he's saying, well, I don't know. Oh, There's going to be some good news or some bad news. And I'm saying, get out of the truck and get in there. 
And he walks in and there's that little dog wagging his tail, happy, you know, he made it. I didn't make it, but the dog made it. We spend so much emotions on goofy things. No, I follow a little program. Faith, fact, feeling. You want to balance in your emotions? There it is, faith. I have faith. You know what my faith is? My faith is in the facts, the Word of God. That book is the absolute standard for everything I believe. So when I have, when I have my faith, my faith in a book and what it says. And I have faith in a book, <clears throat> in the facts, and I let the facts of that book deal with my emotions. I'll get into a situation and that thing will say, don't cry here, cry here. Feel compassion, but there's the line, don't go over it. Do this, but don't go past this point. That's stupid, don't even get involved in that. Because it's the facts that dictate your feelings. Because if you don't have an absolute rule for your spirit, you'll be all over the page. Your emotions are like water poured out on the ground. You can't control them. Getting your emotions under control is like putting toothpaste back in a tube after you squirted too much out. It's impossible. Trust me, I tried it. It's impossible. You have to have a rule in your life that keeps you and your emotions from going off the deep end. You know what it is? It's faith. But faith in what? Faith in the facts. And let the principles of the Word of God dictate your emotions or how you feel. That's what you do. That'll keep you from ever crying over some, 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 some movie where it's not even real about somebody dying and it rips your emotions out. When there's people all around you lost without Christ that are going to hell and we don't even think twice about it. That's out of balance. It helps us to get to the point where, <clears throat> as I've told you many times, the react versus respond. When you react to something, you do it emotionally. When you respond to something, you do it through the principles. It's true of relationships. It's true of marriages. It's true of dealing with your children and dealing with people. It's true of dealing with yourself. Well, the eighth one. Now, at some point, you'll begin to do a work for God, I hope, like we talked about last week. And when you do, it's because you have built a good balance and the Word of God is in three areas of your life as to the work of God in your life. And this forms a balance. Deuteronomy 6, 6 says, And these words which I commanded thee this day shall be in thine heart. Joshua 1, 8 says, The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. And Psalm 149, verse 6 says, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. So the next aspect of the Word of God and doing a work for God will be the Word of God in your heart, the Word of God in your mouth, and the Word of God in your hand. Now you're going to do something with it. Your hands in the Bible are what you do with the Lord. Your feet in the Bible is a picture where you go for the Lord. Now I got a great example of this back in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 10. That's a great chapter to deal with, with uh, David's mighty men of valor. And there's about eight or nine guys listed back there, and they're spectacular guys. One guy always impressed me. It was a guy that took on a whole bunch of guys, and boy, he was something else. And the Bible says he's got a sword in his hand. And the Bible says that they're just coming at him all over the place. And he's slashing and cutting and just 
ripping them to pieces. And the Bible says that he just, they're Philistines, and he just nailed them, man. And he stands there and holds his ground by himself. And the Bible says that he fought a great battle. And after his battle he fought, there was nothing left to do. He killed every one of them. All that was left for people to come in and spoil, take what they wanted. He killed by himself everybody with a sword in his hand. And the Bible says that he was in such a ferocious battle and he was in such conf- a, a, a conflict and that warfare with that sword in his hand that when he was done, the muscles of his hand and his arm cramped around that sword. And even after the battle was over, he could not let go of that sword. That's a picture of you becoming one with the Word of God. It's a picture through the battle of the Word of God, you becoming so intense and so lined up with that book and so in tune with that book and so in touch with that book that it's in your heart, it's in your mouth, and it's in your hand, and you become one with that book, and you can't separate you from that sword. Now you're getting somewhere. Now the ninth one. Now this is a warning. This is a word of warning in your Christian life. Just as the devil wanted to get Christ's agenda out of balance, Genesis 1-1, Genesis 3, know for a surety he'll want to do the same thing with you and me. So three things form a balance of your protection. And this is another little rule that I follow. I never lose sight of it. Because if you do, you'll lose your balance. Luke chapter 21, verse 8 says, And he said, Take heed that no man, uh, that you be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. Now this little three-point outline I always follow is simply this. Be not deceived. Don't let anybody, I don't care who they are, don't let any preacher any friend, any boyfriend, any girlfriend, any parent, anybody, anybody ever get to the place where they take the word of God from you and take it and take it from you and deceive you. Don't let the world do it, don't let your friends do it, don't let anybody do it. Understand what is Christian and spiritual versus what is biblical and what is scriptural. Be not deceived. There's a lot of things out there that look good, but they're deceptive. There's a lot of things that people will say out of the Bible that looks good, but it's deceptive. There's a lot of things your friends will tell you that are good, but it's deceptive. There's a lot of things your parents will tell you that are unsaved. Respect them, love them, honor them, but you have your own relationship with God. They have theirs, they have yours, you have yours. There's a line that you draw. You obey them, you respect them, you honor them, but when it comes to your eternal walk with God, that's between you and Him. Nobody infringes on that. Nobody. If I had listened to my mom, and this is no criticism of my mom because I love her dearly and I knew where she was at the time. If I listened to my mom way back when, when I first got saved, uh, and I was so excited, and I remember that night I went down there and rededicated my life, and uh, boy, I was so excited, and I just, just was always ex- so excited. I mean, I just was so excited. I went down there that night, got the weight of 20-some years off my shoulders, and boy, I was happy as could be, and I went home, and my mom, who was in her own world at that particular point in time, I told her what I did and all this stuff and she says it won't last 
She said, you know what? She says, you'll get over it. It won't last. And you know what? They sent me a letter two or three days later because I surrendered my life that night to preach. I don't even know if I knew I did that, but I did. And they sent me a letter saying, we are, we are really glad that you have surrendered your life to the ministry, da-da-da-da-da-da, and, and I guess it was true, because here I am. But my mom opened my mail. My mom always opened my mail. Probably with good reason, but my mom opened my mail. When I came home, that worked that day, she said, this is goofy. She said, you're goofy. You going to serve God? Now, I'm going to tell you something. If I'd have let that bother me right there on the spot, if I, and I love my mom. I'd do anything in the world for her. If I'd have let her, but she said it that day, crush my spirit, change my direction, then I wouldn't know where I'd be today. But you know what? I love my mom. I cared for her. I love her to death. But when it come down to me preaching the word of God, what would God do in my heart? Mom, you get over here. Me and God's over here. It's just that simple. I'm not letting nobody take it from me. Nobody's going to deceive me. It might be somebody you love. It might be somebody that you respect. But they don't have the love for God that you got. And when you want to go do this, everything in their power, they want to keep you from doing that. Be not deceived. Then the second little format is be not disarmed. Don't let anybody, everybody take the word of God from you. Don't let anybody steal your Bible. But remember, you can have the right Bible, but still forsake it. You have to come to the place where that, that is your sword. It's part of your arm. It never Leave your hand. And then the third thing is be not discouraged. You know, there's a lot of things in this world that if you don't keep your priorities and your balance right, you get discouraged. I'm not saying I don't ever get discouraged, but I don't stay discouraged long. There may be something come up or something I got to do this or that or that that may get a little twinge of discouragement, but that didn't stay very long. I just, I don't allow it to stay there. Because I understand that I'm in a warfare. I've learned something that most of God's people haven't learned. You're in a battle. You're in a fight. And the battle's almost over. And there's no way now, after almost 2,000 years of this going through, and it's almost at the end, ain't no way I'm going to quit at this point in time. I'm 53 year, 63 years old. I've come to the place where I've been in this battle for over 40 years. You think I'm going to quit now? You think I'm going to give it up now after all this time? I'm not. I'm not going to get discouraged. I can have the worst day of my life and I can absolve it in the fact that, you know what? At the end of eternity, what does it matter? Who cares? This little piddly thing I'm going through right now is pales in comparison to what so-and-so is going through in the hospital over here. Or what this person is struggling with over here. And I'm whining about this? Keeps it in balance for me. But God's people get so easily discouraged and quit. And why they do it? Because they get out of balance in these three things. They get deceived. Somebody will tell them something. They're stupid enough to believe it. And when they get believing it and get deceived, the devil automatically disarms them. And then when you get deceived and you get disarmed, you get discouraged. Because when you have been out of balance in these three things, the battle is impossible to win and you get overwhelmed. You're either going to be overcome or you're going to be overrun. But the choice is yours. Now, the 10th thing. Now, a good church will help you attain all of these things in your life. They should give that individual personal attention that uh, to people try to help you to grow and get, the, get to the work of God in your life. When you grow and put the balance in your life and get these things spinning, like those plates we talked about earlier in the message, you have what the book of Proverbs has uh, provided for us all through it. 
And you know, you notice it took me 10 years in pastoring this church before I thought we were ready for the book of Proverbs. And because uh, now you can see, man, what a book. And I had to build some things in you first. I had to get this church to a place where it was, it was stable on some things before we could ever attack a book like Proverbs. But when you get this balance in your life and all these things start working, then it provides the three vital ingredients that, you, that is the outcome. The first thing you get, and Proverbs talks about it, is you get discernment. And discernment is the ability to use the Word of God and understanding it to see what is really happening. Discernment is the ability to see what really is there, not what appears. You don't listen what somebody says. You translate it into what they're really saying. The second thing is discretion. Discretion is your ability to use the Word of God, to apply it in any given situation because you see it through the discernment. And then the third balance is the thing that makes the balance is perspective. That's context. Seeing the big picture and looking at what it really is. Seeing it not just short term, but long term. Seeing how it affects everything around you and other people around you. Now at this point, when you get these working for you in time, over time, you'll see a lot of these become automatic. I know I've given you 10 of them today, and you're thinking, oh, i got to do them for all these, do all these 10. No, not really. You start doing some of the main ones, and you'll see that some of the others will kick in automatically because they all go together. You could probably already see where some of them dovetail with other things that I've already told you. That's the way it works. Now, at this point, last week and this week, week before, when you put all this stuff together, then your walk with God will be balanced, your worship for God will be balanced, and your work for God will be balanced. And next week, I'm going to take you through, and I'm going to show you, and we finish this up, I'm going to show you the balance in your own personal life. I'm going to show you in your marriage, your job, with your kids, your family, your husband, your wife, all the rest. And you'll have everything in there to understand and work, move forward to help put a balance in your life. Because without a balance... It's just going to, life's going to become a chaotic mess. Well, let's have a word of prayer, and I'll call you back up here in about, oh, five or ten minutes.